Yep. Genesis chapter 3 and Luke 24 all at the same time. Genesis chapter 3. And then also all the way over to Luke. We're going to look at other scriptures in between. But these will be our bookend ones tonight. Genesis 3 and verse 5. The only two places in scripture where in the original languages, obviously Genesis in Hebrew, but later a version of the Hebrew Bible called the Septuagint, and it's LXX, which is the Roman number 70. There were 70 authors that put this translation together so that Greek-speaking people could read the Old Testament easier. Um, It was around a little while before Jesus came into the world, and it's pretty evident from reading the New Testament in the original language, is that that was probably the Bible Jesus, the disciples, and most Old Testament people around Jesus' time used. And the Greek equivalent between Genesis 3, I'm going to show you, verse 7, and Luke 24, 31, are identical. All right? So let me show them to you. And notice the phrase we're keying in again is opened eyes, that phrase, or something like it. Genesis 3, 5, for God knows, this is Satan talking, the serpent, for God knows that when you eat of it, here it is, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. All right? Luke 24. The Emmaus Road after the resurrection of Jesus. He's walking down the road with a guy named Cleopas who has someone walking with him. There are different views on who the other person is. I favor the obvious one that it's his wife. And I like it too because it makes a nice analogy between the first open your eyes in Genesis between a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and this is Cleopas and his wife. So it makes a nice parallel, which also helps me to believe it. So we have Luke 24 and verse 31. They're walking down the road with him. They had been at the table. He blesses the bread and broke it and gave it to them. Verse 30. And then our text. And their eyes were opened. Those are the two phrases identical in the Greek language, both used in both places. And they knew him or recognized him, as the ESV says. And he vanished from their sight. Verse 32. Then they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Second use in this chapter. While he opened to us the scriptures. And then over to verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Now Jesus is talking to the disciples. 
Here's our third use. Then he opened, not their eyes this time, but their minds to understand the scriptures. To understand the scriptures. So we can see from the text right off the bat, and stick with me, we're going to set a principle up and make some applications. Adam and Eve's disobedience and their sinful choice led to their eyes being opened. This opening of the eyes was not a God one. It was a Satan one. It was a sinful one. Um, The text makes it obvious there, if you look at it again, in verse 5, your eyes will be opened. And then in Hebrew, often there's a parallel phrase. So it tells us, what does it mean that their eyes were opened? Because obviously they were physically seeing already. So we're going to notice right off the bat, this, this is a spiritual phrase, that now there's some other type of seeing other than physical that they now um, are able to do. Um, and it says, Satan says that if you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be open. And here's what that will mean for you. The next phrase is, you will be like God, not sharing his attributes, not sharing his perfections, nothing that attributes to his deity. But how could they be like God? And it says it for you, knowing good and evil. Knowing is not just formation or information or some sort of cognitive reasoning that I know now, oh, I know what good and evil is now. No, you read the rest of the New Testament and the Old Testament, and you'll find now, like God, they would choose for themselves, they would start defining good and evil. So before they ate of the tree, here's who told them what was good and evil. Here's what was right and wrong. God did. Here's the trees you can eat. Here's the ones you can't. Here's how you live. Here's the things you don't do. But when they ate the fruit, they became independent from God in their sin, and now they were autonomous from him, and now they were, we would say in our modern vernacular, now they're calling the shots. God wouldn't be the one who would uh, lay down the law and tell them right from wrong. They would decide that by themselves. That's what happened there. And it says in verse 6, notice the connection. It opened their eyes, and so when she looked at it, the Bible says, what was it? It was a delight to her eyes probably doesn't just mean that the fruit was really good looking. Like, it says that it was good to eat, obviously, but we know this already, that it's not just looking good physically, right? There was something more she wanted other than, a, let's just say, a tasty apple. It wasn't that she said, wow, this fruit's better than every other tree, and the reason I'm biting into this one is because I think it tastes better. That's obviously not the motivation. And the Bible tells us that's true as well because it says it was delight to the eyes. And what was the next, what's the next phrase? It desired to make one what? Mm -hmm. An independent wisdom. All throughout scripture, James, the epistle, there's a wisdom from above and there's a wisdom from below. Proverbs calls God-fearing or wisdom folly. And so we have to choose our whole life Um, which wisdom we will follow. Eating the apple opened her eyes to see this, that she could call the shots, she could decide what was right and wrong for herself, and she would have a different wisdom about how to live in God's world than his. And they chose that. So it says, then, after choosing that, then the eyes of them both were open. And And in that sense, Satan had told a lot of lies, but that one he was telling the truth. That their eyes were opened, and here's what happened. They knew they were naked. 
Did it know that they know they weren't naked before? Well, no, they knew it. But what does the Bible say? What is knowing? Knowing good and evil. Now they had experience. Now nakedness to them was not something that was okay because it was pure, but now they had defiled themselves and they had to sew fig leaves together and they started hiding from God. Why? Because, see this, because opening their eyes in their sinfulness, now they saw the world, themselves, and everything in it completely different than what they had before. Before they saw everything, including themselves, through the eyes of God. But now they were doing it independently from God, and they had followed the serpent, and that had changed everything. Now, the obvious application for us right off the bat is that that is not something that Adam and Eve alone experienced. Because of Adam and Eve, and then by our own selective choices throughout our lives, we have done the exact same thing. Our eyes also, we were born blind spiritually, but we have our eyes opened, not just physically, Spiritually, and our eyes are open. We're born in this world seeing one reality, and that reality does not include God. (laughs) That's how we all are. Okay? That's how every one of us are. Adam and Eve forfeited the right or the ability to see and understand reality God's way. Most of all, the spiritual reality of everything. All you have to do is have a quick perusal of the New Testament, and you'll know that Paul knew these scriptures well and used them very well in his writings. Ephesians 1.18, he says that the eyes of our heart have been corrupted. He says in 2 Corinthians 4.3 that those who haven't believed the gospel, their heart or their eyes are blinded to it. They can't see the spiritual reality of the gospel. Jesus often called the religious leaders who were about the most religious people who knew the scriptures as far as knowing the content and what it said, they could quote it all. Do you know that if you really were a great disciple and you had a rabbi by the time you got to be 16, you were supposed to be able to quote from memory almost the entire Old Testament. So, I mean, these people make our Bible study and understanding silly. I mean, they are far better than any of us could ever imagine to be. And here's what Jesus calls them, blind guides. Blind. Why? Because their eyes had only been opened because of their sin. Jesus says to the Apostle Paul, on the Damascus Road, which he later quotes as his own testimony in Acts 26, 18, that his mission was this, to open the eyes of the blind. And that doesn't mean physically, because he goes on to define it spiritually. Because here's the condition of every one of us. We come into this world blind. We all have eye problems. We do not see things and live, therefore, according to how God sees reality. So first discussion question tonight What are some ways that you look back on your life if you were saved maybe later than elementary school? What are some ways in your life that you were spiritually blind before you were saved and you never, and and now you see things completely different? Say, you know, before I got saved, this is how I viewed things. And you might even think of something very particular. But when I became a Christian and God opened my eyes to understand who he was and what he did, and especially the scriptures, I, I begin to see things completely different. Can you give me an example? Sandy. Well, I was saved at 11, but I still had the idea that life was like a scale. That if I did enough good stuff, God would be happy. But if I 
So even though you, you came to the realization that God is all about grace, you thought the Christian life was about performance, that I still had to do things, and, and the better I did, no, no? keep telling me. Right, okay. But then when I got saved, I got gotcha. you. I, I was a sinner and needed Jesus. Okay, so you went from works to grace. Got it. Got it, okay. That's more, that makes more sense. Super. Amen. So, works to grace. What else changed how your thinking? What was it when God opened your eyes? How did you see life differently? What was different? Yes, Deborah. Before she was saved, she thought all religions were pretty much the same. But when she got saved, she realized that Christianity was unique, that all right, she'd be able to, she saw that reality, that truth. What else? Mary. Okay. So before you're saved, you thought about rules, religious things, more or less, rituals. But once you got saved and God opened your eyes, you saw it was more about a relationship. Alice? Okay. Okay, so that was for the, the clergy, right? The Bible's for the cl- But then you got saved, you go, oh, no, no, God wants me to read and study it and know what it says and live it. Excellent. Joey? Okay, good. Good. So the scripture started making sense to you. And we're going to see, we're going to get to that right now, actually, pretty soon here. So in the Old Testament, then, here's our condition. We are born blind. The only eye opening we have is because of Satan and our sin. And that leads us away from God. So God kicks them out of the, art, uh, out of the Garden of Eden. And from then on, and we're going to see this climax in Jesus... God's trying to reverse the curse. He is going to try to open people's eyes by his power so that, again, they can see spiritual reality. Now, follow me because we're going to look at a number in a row. Remember, we're pushing on a trajectory to see what Jesus actually himself does in the most ultimate way. So we're going to look at some ways that God's opened people's eyes to see some realities they couldn't otherwise see. Genesis 21, we'll stay here. You'll turn there. Verse 15. Genesis 21, 15. When the water in the skin was gone, this is Hagar, she put the child under one of the bushes, and she went and sat down, this is Ishmael, 
and set down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. So she thinks it's over. This is it for her. This is it for her son. And they're going to die out here in the desert. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Underline, then God opened her eyes. The idea is she was going to sit down and die, but she didn't see that she was so close to life. There was a well of water and it wasn't far away. I don't know if she was just losing it because of the heat and the, the lack of water and they're going to die. She's given up hope. But it says this, same phrase, and God opened her eyes and was able to show her life. Now, get the pattern because here's what God does. When Satan opens your eyes, it only leads to death. But when God does it, it leads to life. And he's not going to only, she's not going to be the only one he opens her eye to see at a well. There are going to be others as well in Scripture. So here we have a woman who's about to die. God opens her eyes, and he saves them through it and makes actually of her son a great nation. That's a promise he gives, even though Ishmael is not totally Jewish. So here's an example of something that was unknown to her. She didn't know where the source of life was, and she was going to die. God opens her eyes, and now she sees a reality, a well that she never saw before, and it saves her life. Numbers chapter 22. I bet you haven't been in Numbers very often lately. Numbers twenty-two thirty-one. 31. This is about Balaam. Remember Balaam? He tried to prophesy against God's people. Remember the donkey, famous flannel graph story? <laughs> he gets mad, starts hurting the donkey. Okay, and it says, verse twenty-eight. Now, tell me that this is wouldn't you have like? I mean, this isn't as cool as being at the cross or at the resurrection. But wouldn't you like to have been here and see this guy's faith when the face when the donkey starts talking? I mean, that has to be amazing. Verse twenty-eight. Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and said to Balaam, "What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times?" Balaam said to the donkey. Now he's actually going to talk back. I thought that was pretty amazing. Uh, for me, I would be gone, like running. But he stays and has a conversation. I mean, the guy's a whacker. All right. And Balaam said, because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had swore a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. <laughs> He's a piece of work. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey in which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Watch. Verse 31, underline. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. And what could he see? Well, he could see a spiritual reality that totally changed his view of everything, didn't it? Now he sees that the donkey's not moving, and it's not because he's stubborn and needs kicked. It's him who needs kicked, right? The angel of the Lord is standing in the way. Now, does this sound familiar? With his drawn sword in his hand. Remember when they opened the eyes of Adam and Eve? And they had to leave the garden. What was the angel doing when they left? Oh, he's holding a flaming sword in his hand. Sounds familiar. And he bowed down his 
and fell on his face. And the angel, so now he's going to talk to the angel, which he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't run from either one of those stories or situations. But here's, he didn't know, you know why? You know why he lived the way he did and acted the way he did and all the things he was saying and doing? Because he couldn't see. He could not see the reality of what was really going on. And here's the point. Not until God or the Lord opened his eyes could he understand really what was going on. That's the pattern. That's the pattern. Second Kings, I'm sorry, one more, just to give you as an underline. Turn over one more page to chapter 24. This episode so marked Balaam's life. Look what is said of him. Numbers 24, 15, and they took up his discourse and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Baor, the oracle, listen to this, of the man whose eye is opened. <laughs> it's how he's remembered. He's remembered of the guy who was thinking the do- donkey was the foolish, making him look foolish. He was the one. And he's known as the guy who had the eye that was opened by God. Second Kings chapter 6. Remember, we're on a trajectory. These stories all tie together. And I'm not sure if you ever wondered what the meaning of them were and why these are in here. They're not just Aesop's fables, the story isolated from itself. They're part of a trajectory, and you'll see what that, where it's going. Elisha is in his house, and he has his servant with him. And all, suddenly they're all surrounded by the enemy and their chariots and, and their armies and so forth and so on. And the Bible says that, verse 15 of 2 Kings 6, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, in other words, he's shocked by this, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city, and the servant says to Elisha, alas, my master, what shall we do? In other words, we have no hope. See, I, I want to give up. We're, we're, gonna, we're dead people. That's how he sees it until the verse He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now that must have been a shock. I love to see his face looking around. Okay, he'd go, me, you, all of them. You don't see what I'm seeing. And Elisha would have said, you're right. And so he says to him, what? Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, underline, please open his eyes that he may see. Second time. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man he saw. And Second time, behold, ready? This matches the first one and trumps it. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now the guy sees, oh, now I know why you're not worried. Because we have as many as they got or more, and we got supernatural ones. So, yeah, we're good. We're good. But again, totally changes totally changes his perspective on reality and how he views the entire situation and how they should respond to it. What? When God opens his eyes to see that spiritual reality, that ability was lost in Adam and Eve. God is showing that he's the one. He's the one that from the beginning should have opened people's eyes. And the only way they can be opened correctly to live life and see life like it's supposed to be seen and lived, only he can really do that. So another example of that here. In fact, let me go a little bit further in the passage. Look at the next verse. And the Syrians came, verse 18, against Elisha. Elisha prayed and said this. So remember he said, God, open their eyes. Open his eyes so he can see. But God can do this too. Watch. Elisha prayed the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So all the soldiers that were coming to wipe them out, 
God says, I can, I can stop that. I can stop all that by causing them all to be blind. So God says the word, and they're all blind. They can't see, but he's not done with that yet. So he strikes them with blindness, and it says to them, this is not the way, this is not the city, follow me. So he, he brings them back right into the territory of Samaria in the center of their enemies, and he, they're going to all be there where they could be murdered. And as soon as they entered Samaria, verse 20, Elisha said, second time, different group, O Lord, underline, Open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And so the Samaritans want to strike them all down. He says, oh, no, no, no. We didn't bring them here. Listen, you know why God opens people's eyes? Not to murder them. That's Satan's job. He says, throw a banquet for them and feed them all and send them home. You know why? Because that's the kind of opening of eyes Jesus does. Trajectory. This is how your eyes should have been opened from the beginning. Psalm 119. David writes the longest chapter in the entire Bible. And he has a prayer. And this prayer is one that would be great for you amongst others in this chapter to use in your own Bible study. I've had three I borrowed. I call it the IOU prayer. Psalm 119.36, incline my heart unto your testimonies and not to selfish greed. So here we go. Remember, when God opens your eyes, it's a supernatural act of help that God gives to you because you can't open your own eyes. So here's what he says, David, specifically when it comes to reading the scriptures. And I did this one last, not only because it's chronologically last, because it ties into the last one best. David says... In verse 18, Psalm 119, 18, underline, open my eyes. See it? Open my eyes that I might see. See what? Wondrous things out of your law. Since I was probably 16 in, in uh, Bible school, I've used this prayer almost every day. Open my, you know why? Because every time I come to Scripture, here's what I want God to know. I can't understand this in the right way without you. I'm completely dependent on you. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Open my eyes. And the you part, Psalm 86:11. unite my heart to fear your name. God, here's what I wanted to do because I've understood scripture. I want my heart to be one, not divided, one. And so here's what David says. When it comes to scripture, God needs to open your eyes so that you can understand what it really says. I'll never forget sitting right here a couple years ago, had a service, preached the gospel, and Ed Koenig sat right there, where Joey is, pretty close to that area, and he comes down the aisle, so I'm not thinking anything of it, because he'll come down and talk to anybody, right, and, uh, for a while, and uh, so he comes down, and he goes, hey, can we sit down and talk for a minute? I go, oh, okay, so he sits down here, and he tells me, now, Ed's been here in that same pew for 20 years. He said, you know what, I've been thinking about it, and today I know for the first time I need to get saved. I go, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, I need to get saved. I go, now you figure that out? He goes, today it, just, it was just like a light went on. He goes, now, when you said that today, now I get it. And you know what? God opened his eyes that day. And I remember praying with him and having him trust and call on Jesus to be his Savior and I remember him and his, remember 
nieces getting saved, right? And all that. That was a wonderful day, wonderful day. But I remember that. And I asked myself, how can you sit in that pew for Pastor Martin's all those years and other years that we were both of, and how do you hear all those Bible messages and you not only know you're saved? Because he never had his eyes opened. Never had his eyes. Can I stop and get, make an application? Listen to this. You're praying for people that are lost, that don't know Jesus. Can I tell you one way to pray? Pray this. God, would you open their eyes? Because they're blind. They're blind to the truth. They don't even know, number one, or believe you might exist. They don't believe who Jesus is. They don't believe that they're a sinner. They don't believe that they need a savior. There's a lot of things they're blind to. They're blind spots. Complete blind spots. And here's a great prayer. David says, open my eyes. Open my eyes that I can see. Can I ask you real quickly, maybe just a couple people, what are some wondrous things, that's what the verse 18 says, what are some things that God opened your eyes about over the scriptures? Say, hey, here's one great thing from a Bible lesson I learned, or I'm studying the Bible, and God taught this, and it's had a lot of impact on my life. What's a verse that you might say? Maybe just a couple people say, hey, God opened my eyes to this verse or this passage or this biblical principle, and man, it's made a difference in my life. What would you say? You would say nothing. Okay. Wink. Amen. So maybe in an overall sense, right? Amen. One more. Maybe one truth or verse or principle. Tim. Amen. Mm. Well, you can see, can't you, the, the, the Old Testament trajectory from the wrong kind of eye-opening in, in Genesis all the way through to now we get to that passage in Luke, if you'll turn back there, 
Now we come to Jesus and his ministry. And you know, and we don't have time tonight, but it's worth your study. Jesus often opened the eyes of people who were blind physically. I mean, even in John 9, the man who was born blind. And at the very end of it, the religious leaders ask him, are we blind too? So even they got the idea that physical healing of blind people wasn't just a miraculous event to let people see physically. They knew the insinuation that you can be those who see physically but can't see spiritually. And even those who are most stooped in the Bible, right, could be in that condition. The Emmaus Road couple are walking. And this time and then John 20, Mary Magdalene at the tomb sees Jesus. But there are a couple instances recorded where they see Jesus in his resurrection form, but they don't recognize him. Not right away. It's like they're looking at him, but they still can't see him. And the idea for that, why God does that, is he wants to say the point we've been making. That only Jesus can open your eyes to see him, even if you think you know him. Mary Magdalene knew him, right? Cleopas knew who Jesus was and his wife. They knew him. But they didn't really know him. Not in the way spiritually, according to the scriptures, about who he really was. They thought he was the Messiah that failed because he died and they buried him and the Romans had won. But they, they come to the real understanding of the scripture. And it listen, it changes their reality. I mean, they go from dismal depression and hopelessness to everything is now new and changed. I mean, listen, the death in Jesus and his resurrection changed everything for them. I mean, to find that reality and see it with spiritual eyes, oh, wow, it made a difference in their lives. And that's why verse 31, it says this, as we read a little earlier, it says, and their eyes were opened and they knew him. Compare that with the one in Genesis where it says, and their eyes were opened and what did they know? They didn't know God better. What did they know? They knew that they were naked. That's what they knew. So they, they were self-focused when their eyes were opened by sin and Satan. But when your eyes are opened by Jesus, it's not turning inwardly to yourself. It's turning, now I understand him. See, that's the difference. And can I tell you, that's what we all need every day. Do you know why we go to this book? Do you know why we read the Bible? Because good Christians do that. And I don't want God to give me a flat tire this week. And I, and I, I don't want to be embarrassed when someone asks me and I haven't read the No, those aren't... You know why? Because every single day we need to see everything and every reality in our life, whether it's being a parent, whether it's how we work at our job, whether it's how we train our kids, the choices we make with our money, how we're going to spend our time, where does church and serving God fit in all of that, what is purity and morality, what I listen to on the radio, whether, what I watch on the internet, all these choices and many more. You know why we need this book? We need to see every reality through the eyes of Jesus. And that's why we get into this book. And that's why we come here multiple times in a week. Not because we're just good Baptists, but because every time we step in these doors and every time you crack this book at home, you know what you say? I can't see reality apart from you. I can't do it. I won't know how to do any of these things unless I have you in my life. So the Bible says they knew him. They saw him. Now watch. How do we see him today? 
Well, they lay it out for us because the other two scriptures that use the word open in this text lay it out very painfully clear for us. 32 being the next one, it says, And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us? So seeing Jesus is not just a visual reality. It's not just a cognitive reality that I know who he is. No, it's even some sort of an emotional reality. It's burning with my heart. See, now in Eden, when Adam and Eve Listen, they disobeyed God and their eyes were open. You know what the, the burning they got? Well, they got a burning sword. But now they have a burning heart. And I can tell you this, that's what you're trading in when Jesus opens your eyes. Not separation from God with a burning sword, but now you can enter his presence and you come in there with a burning heart. See, that's what God wants. God wants to give you every day as you read this book a burning passion and heart and love and desire on the inside that reaches the outside and how you view and live your life in every single area. That's what he wants. That's what he's looking for for you. And how does it happen? Verse 45, and we'll close. The last open phrase, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The previous verse says, he told them in his own words, so he gave them a little self-exegesis about where you can find about Jesus in the Old Testament. And it says, everything written about me, and here it is, the law, Moses, and the prophets, and the Psalms. The law of Moses, prophets, and Psalms. The Tanakh, if you get a Jewish Bible off my shelf or in a Barnes & Noble, It'll say Tanakh on the Old Testament, T-A-N-A-K-H. And it's abbreviation for three segments and parts of the Old Testament. T-A stands for Torah. N-A stands for Nevaim, which is the Hebrew word for prophets. And then K-H at the end is Kethuvim, which stands for the writings, which would be Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, those types of books. That's how the Bible and the Old Testament, even in Jesus' time, was broken down to. And here's what Jesus says. Look in every section of the Old Testament. Look in all of them, because I'm there. And he must have done a Bible study with them. A self, he says, here, see, here am I in Genesis. And then here am I over here in Proverbs. And look at me in the, in the Gospel of Isaiah, right? The prophecy of Isaiah. And he must have shown them. And their hearts burned within them. He said, listen, let me open your minds so that you can see me and understand me and know why I came and what I'm all about because that'll change your life. My encouragement to you tonight is to do just that every day. Get on your knees, open your scriptures, and begin with this prayer. Oh God, open my eyes. Open my mind. Because Jesus, you have opened my eyes and you have changed my life when you saved me and I need you to keep opening them every single day so that I can live out the truth of your word in every area of my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. The truth is, even when we read your word and study it and you open our eyes, we still have remaining sin in us. We still have blind spots. Things in our lives that we think we see clearly or we don't see at all, and they hinder us hurt relationships, perhaps make others stumble. Maybe it's people who are going to die without Christ and go into a Christless eternity because of that blind spot. God, help us. May that move us to get into the scriptures that you might continue to open our eyes, that we might see you, and in seeing you, we might become more like you. May that be true of us individually, 
May that be true of us as families. And may that be true of us as a church. And we'll thank you for that reality in Christ's name. Amen.